0: The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network.
1: They're tangling in the back of the pack. Here they come off four. Down to the Kyle Busch won the season opener at Talladega. DeGroote was second. He's the reigning
2: champion. It's the iRacers download. Cardwell hoping it stays green. He nearly spins it around. Who's it going to be? Cardwell, Berkeley, or someone else? Where reality meets the virtual world of auto racing. iRacing's executive director, Dale Earnhardt Jr., I think that NASCAR is starting to see the value and the opportunities that can present themselves working with iRacing. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Taylor Burris and Justin Prince. Hello everyone and welcome to the iRacers Download on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. My name's Justin Prince. Along with me for the ride today is Blake McCandless, along with our producer, Richard Colbrath, as we break down. Now the week has gone in iRacing, the iRacing world has been very busy to say the very least Blake, when it comes to short track tempers, to championship implications, to championship scraps in general, there has been a lot going on to say the very least across iRacing over the course of the past week.
1: It's certainly the case, Justin, and as always the case, it seems to be in iRacing, even during the, uh, I guess, real-world motorsports offseason. There's still a lot going on, and even as we start to work our way out of that and into some of the competitive uh, ladder series that are uh, going across the service, always uh, always busy on iRacing.com, that's for sure.
2: And one of the things that was busy on iRacing.com was the championship designer for the 2021-22 iRacing World of Outlaws' Nas Energy Drink Sprint Car World Championship Series. The championship went down to four drivers with a mathematical chance to win the title. Cameron Merriman, Alex Bergeron, James Edens, Braden Eiler all had mathematical chances entering the final race of the campaign at the dirt track at Charlotte with a chance to win $10,000. In the end, for the first time in series history, And for the first time since year two, it is a U.S.-based champion and a champion not named Alex Bergeron. Cameron Merriman walked it off with his first victory of the season to win the championship. He now joins us on the iRacers download. Cameron, history was made. A dominating performance on speed. A dominating way to end off the campaign You've had some time to reflect now on becoming just the third different champion in series history, its first U.S. best base champion, and someone who broke a three-year streak of title runs for the Canadian and Bergeron. How does it feel?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, for one. Certainly, I'm just very proud. It's not that I didn't try in previous years, but, you know— it's a unique challenge to come into a 10 week series like this and re- really be able to put on a consistent and strong performance because in previous years, especially last year, I had portions of the season, especially, you know, when we would do league racing throughout the week, um, in between each of the pro series races where I felt like I was the strongest car and, and I could go out there and beat Alex and, you know, probably unsurprisingly, it's a different atmosphere and a different environment and the stakes are always higher. And so you have to battle with a lot of things within yourself, whether it's nerves or external pressure or whatever it is, you know, the the stage upon which the Spring Card Championship occurs and all pro series occur is unique and it's really hard to practice for that. So, you know, this being my third year, I knew I had the speed. It was just a matter of keeping things under check and approaching it with the right mindset and approach and being able to retain those nerves. And obviously I, I cracked a couple of times. I probably had the opportunity to to walk away with, after February with a demonstrable lead that I wouldn't have been able to lose. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's those things that make the championship unique in sprint cars. And, and I've loved it every year I've been there. It's been incredibly challenging. And this year was was no different um, in a way that the season was the more soul crushing of all the rest. It was just so difficult. And there was so much preparation and work that went into it. Um, with the changes to the sim with respect to the tire model and some things like this and, and how the dirt cars handle that just made it like an uphill battle for everybody. But uh, for me in particular, I had come off a, an accident where I broke my kneecap in real sprint car racing in September, and I wasn't able to be in the sim for over two months. So uh, to come back to it and jump right into the pro series was, you know, that was just icing on top of the cake. But if I were to sum it up in one word, I'm, I'm definitely just proud to be here speaking to you and to, and to come away with the championship for sure.
2: And I remember you mentioning that to, during the previous conversation we had, during the early portions of the season and thinking as well, on top of trying to learn the change to the car, how a lot had to go the right way as some drivers, essentially with how things fared out, especially on your side. And in turn, from that conversation on, it seemed that you started to really pick up momentum-wise. You had been consistently amongst the top 10, but the season also felt different in that term, Cam, because not only was the card a bit different, but it also seemed like if you're the championship leader, there was just seemed to be a point leader jinx for half the season.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, with Alex's troubles that he had... Let me try and think of the sequencing here, but I remember he had a disconnect, I think at Eldora, which was the fourth week of the season. Um, And that dropped him from the lead and James Edens won that race in spectacular fashion on the last corner over Hayden Cardwell. And so James inherited the lead. And then two weeks later at the Grove, uh, James had issues with his virtual reality headset and had to come to the monitor. But by the time that all transpired, he had lost his grid position. So he, he lost the lead to me. So there certainly was a period of time of maybe a month there where it seemed inevitable that, that any points leader was going to run into some kind of problem. So perhaps I'm fortunate enough that I didn't I didn't end up incurring any event like that that wasn't self-wrought or self-inflicted. You know, like all of my issues that I had were, were just, you know, personal mistakes or errors uh, of, judgment, of judgment on my end. So I could really only point the finger at myself and not some ethereal thing that existed outside the sim. but. Yeah, I, I mean, this season was definitely unique. You know, in previous seasons, you've had drivers who either have flashes of brilliance or are just straight out dominant for the impor- for the entire season. And this was very different, right? Um, errors aside in terms of, you know, what people had with internet issues or James Eden's virtual reality headset are messing up or me dumping the car at Fairbury with two to go. Uh, the competition was much more spread out and a bit more even this time around. And and it's hard to attribute that to any one thing, whether that's the field of cars that came into the Pro Series, whether that's just the amount of raw time that we've all had now in the sim and and the equalizing nature that that has on the level of competition, um, or whether it was the advent of the change in, in how the cars are modeled. It's hard to point to one specific thing. But all of those things combined, we had a really tough and tight contest throughout what seemed like the entire season. There was a lot of ebbs and flows. And, and, you know, I was, I mean, I, my teeth were set on edge and I was nervous as hell coming to the final race, but I had a big enough lead where I could leave it to myself, not to mess up and that I would come away with it. But all that said, you, you, you started the show off, right. There was four of us there that had a mathematical chance coming to the final race. And I don't think that has ever happened in the Spring car championship. So it was very exciting for that reason alone.
1: Well, Cam, and you know, one thing I'm always curious about uh, with just the way these different series have kind of progressed over the years, the different prize pools that are available and all that, I know being able to take home $10,000, I mean, that's a pretty hefty prize. Do you have any plans maybe for <laughs> what that might go towards or or how you're going to potentially use that prize money?
3: I could, I could give you a variety of answers, but none of them are probably as thrilling as they might be if I were 20 or 24 years old, you know, <laughs> 30 <laughs> years old now, so I'm a bit more established yeah. in my life, so... I mean, the prize money is awesome. I'm going to invest some portion of it into our real-world sprint car racing this year. We're running with the United Racing Club for probably on the order of 10 to 15 races. So uh, you guys probably know tires are getting really expensive. It's it's not cheap at all anymore to put a new set of tires on the back of a full-size sprint car. So um, that's that's a non-trivial investment that we're going to have to make um, week in and week out. And other than that, I, uh, I'm trying to put some things in order to... To get my wife a, a gas stove in the house we currently use electric and she hates it so uh you know working with the electric company on that i mean that's not very exciting right but that's yeah um, that's a big step up in our personal life here for at home so um i think just spreading that around but ultimately for me the, the prize money was not the biggest part one of the first things i got on the horn with with the race director was trying to get an understanding of whether or not there is a trophy or a plaque to come because having that call it a souvenir or, or piece of memorabilia for the rest of my life is going to be incredibly cherished and um, you know the money is is one thing but ultimately it's the title and the sense of accomplishment that I've come away with this that you know I in a way it's almost as if my eye racing career is arc to its, I, I don't want to call it a preemptive peak but I if I were to stop racing today I would feel satisfied with my last three years on the service
2: and I remember you mentioned that a little bit. last time we had spoken a few weeks back on the show. And it's definitely intriguing to see the full circle side of it with you taking the title run. And of course, at the same time, it is worth noting as well. There were some changes on the back end side, it appeared, at least from the outset or outside, should say, Cam, where you got a little bit more support for the final few weeks, including people like Michael Heilman jumping onto the box as well with your father.
3: Yeah, absolutely. My, my father has, has been in and out of the Sim and hasn't spent a lot of time with it. So he was doing his best to try and keep me abreast of things going on and, and conversing with me and helping me keep a cool head. But ultimately, yeah, I was able to turn to a, a few other people to to seek some help and guidance there towards the end, too. Um, ultimately, I, you know, it's interesting. I think in the past, and, and this may still exist, but people would get together and you'd have like one big brain uh, gentleman or that could come up with a setup and then we just share it around. I think that the collaborative nature of teaming now, at least in the sprint car community is something that I really enjoy and, and it manifests itself insofar as we would meet up once or twice a week, generally on Monday afternoon to, to my chagrin. I'd rather spend more time on the weekends doing this type of thing, but we'd get together in a collective session that would mimic what we would come to experience on Monday night. And we, would you know, run the track in and then, and then spend time really honing down what we should do with setup and and line as the track progressed. And it wasn't so much just like, hey, here's this rocket setup, put this on. It was more trying to understand the nuances of how the track changes, what to expect. And and those things are important because this season in strict contrast with last season, we qualified on what I will call live tracks. You know, in, in the last season and I I think for a portion of two seasons ago, Um, in the pro series, we would actually qualify on a strict, well-defined track state uh, for qualifying. They would set the track to a specific percentage of wear between 0 and 5%. That would be announced on the afternoon of of the race. And so, you know, people would just spend a ton of time practicing for this one specific track state just so they could land a burner lap during qualifying. And that was incredibly important because often at almost every single track, 1st to 30th, in the qualifying order would be split by no more than a tenth and this season we got real live tracks you would put you know however many laps people could run in three minutes sometimes we'd have 200 laps other times we'd have 300 on the track and depending on where people ran the track wear pattern would be almost completely unknowable from the outset like when you load it in the server so you really had to have a keen eye of on how to read the track um what to do with the setup and what line to run in qualifying and that was so much more rewarding because we would see splits between 1st and 35th. Uh, the entire field would be split sometimes by 7 tenths or 8 tenths. And that, that to me, speaks to the driver's ability to, in the moment, read the track and make the most out of it. So from that perspective, it was it was a lot of fun, like working with some other guys in the sim, uh, just trying to build that intuition for how to read the track and, and come out with a strong qualifying performance that ultimately carries a night um, like Charlotte. You know, you, you can see it evidenced from I qualified second and had a relatively calm evening besides my early feature race battles with Blake Majulis, whereas Alex had a had a tougher qualifying, I think a 10th or a 10th and a half back and had to work through his heat race, had to work really hard to get through through traffic in the early feature and then ultimately couldn't find a way around Hayden and Blake because it's it's just so hard to get by competition um, at that point in the track state.
2: Indeed. And now it's the matter of how to move forward you mentioned what you plan to spend some of the ten thousand dollars us on and of course one of the things that was discussed a few months ago is your plan to race in the real world how would you describe now your 2022 in preparation for your return to real world racing and as well but the potential chance to try and defend your title if you get the chance or elect to do so in the fall or winter good. time possibly good
3: question justin so i mean in the real world aspect, I'm, I'm geared up and ready to go. We've been excited about getting back to it um, since I moved. I, I was stationed across uh, the United States with the Air Force for eight years, and I separated in 2021 and was able to move back to Maryland where I grew up. Um, and from that point f- forward, we had gone with the outset that we were going to try and do some stuff in the real world racing. So that, that lived a bit independently from iRacing. But certainly, you know, th- this is an interesting question and point about, you know, my future with iRacing. Obviously, you know, I have a vested desire to, given the opportunity to defend my my championship uh, title, but, you know, I'm very interested and I was very engaged with the race director and the dev- and the development team throughout the season to really improve the fidelity and, and the user experience within the sim. Um, you know, speak, working with Tyler Hudson, we ran into a variety of topics this season relating to the tire model belt. You know what nuances of the car do work really well what feels really good in terms of the analogs to the real world and what things are you know respectively ha- have work still to come um some things with cross weight and how the cars handle when you put a lot of left side weight which is something that you would do in like a late model or a big block people were able to find success you know blake majulis evan c and dylan yeager found a ton of time at especially at a track like kokomo if you remember evan drove from 18th to first trotting around the bottom with a setup that it's it's questionable whether you could put something like that in a real sprint car and it would even get around the track. So it's just some of these nuances in the, in the setup that a normal person or someone who hadn't invested many hundreds of hours in the sim would probably never discover. But it's things like that that you really have to chase down and work with the developers, not just to put a Band-Aid over and say, like, don't do that, but to understand from the simulation aspect, you know, what is giving rise to this type of behavior being strong or fast or whatever it is and if if those things are legit what explains them or how do we how do we address the root cause to replicate the real world behavior that should exist where you have these kind of funny quirky behaviors that that maybe shouldn't so that you know i'm very interested in that aspect too um and i always have been increasing the fidelity of sim and being a strong supporter for the iRacing team to make these things uh, the best that they can be
2: Definitely going to be interesting to follow along with your future in turn, then with especially with how it sounds on that discussion front and the potential possibilities on that front, since there have been a few drivers, including drivers like Tyler Hudson, like a Christian Challenger, and a few others who eventually did go on the path to iRacing staff membership as in joining the ranks at a few years after the major runs and or straight from the pro level to iRacing. But with that, where can fans follow along to keep an eye on what you do during the, the early portions and through the rest of 2022 up to see how you do on the real track as well as how things go virtually?
3: Yeah, um, also a good question. So I intend I've bought the whole kit for the GoPro, so we'll have uh, some mini blogs, both including some some pit footage and also on track footage with the GoPro that I'll upload to my personal YouTube and that'll be discoverable by just searching my name. You know, my YouTube is gonna be identified through my name, so if you just type in Cameron Merriman, I'm sure you will have no problem finding me. But um I'll be posting some updates there occasionally whenever I get into some real world racing or um I am not super engaged on Twitter, but you can find me at cam underscore nineteen ninety one. So if you're really keen and wanna reach out, you know, I'm always willing to have a conversation. So I'm very engaged both in the real world aspect, but also, you know, I, I have a strong adoration for the sim itself. I do modeling and simulation stuff as a physicist for uh, the applied physics laboratory here at, at APL um, for for Johns Hopkins in Maryland. So it's part of my day job. And then I, I leave my day job and I come mess around with the simulation. And it's just something that both I have a lot of passion for, a lot of interest in. So whether it's real world racing or, or, Aspects of the simulation that are either robust or or need help or just my general opinion on them. You know, I could talk for hours and hours and you guys probably know that already. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I appreciate you guys having me on. This has been awesome.
2: Once again, congratulations on becoming the first U.S. Banks champion in series history, Cam. Thank you. That's Cameron Merriman, your winner of the 2021-22 iRacing World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car World Championship Series. He also walked off with his first feature win of the campaign at the Dirt Track at Charlotte. When we come back. We'll be speaking with the winner of the 2022 season opener and a new era for the ENASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series when it comes to the exhibition side. It was the Clash of the Coliseum, and it was Cachow time with Casey Kerwin with that checker. We'll hear more after this. You're listening to the iRacers download on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Presented by Crossway Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crosswheel Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media. Justin Prince, Blake McCann was with you or with our producer, Richard Colbreath, as we continue on with discussing what has been going on across the iRacing world. And that brings us in turn to the virtual Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Where, for the first time in e NASCAR Coca Cola i Racing Series history, drivers went and had a clash. The Clash of the Coliseum, Blake. You were in the booth for that one. And it just so happened that a certain Kachow person made it to the checkered flag at a track where, if you remember the plot of Cars 1, the finale was in a racetrack themed
1: Alec Memorial Coliseum. Well, it certainly was, and I I think that wasn't lost on us there in the booth. Obviously, we were keeping tabs on that, Uh, but, yeah, it seemed like the number change worked out well for that driver, undefeated with the 95. uh, That is Casey Kerwin, who moved over from 38 with Xset Gaming last season. Uh, So, big Mm -hmm. change, but paid off well for him. He got the money, he got the tickets, and uh, a lot of momentum uh, to start the 2022 campaign. Well, the saying is, rep the set, and Casey
2: Kerwin is repping the set after that victory. Casey, welcome to the show. First of all, second thing second, now you've had a bow, a few days to reflect. How does it feel to be a winner at that facility, knowing the background with the track and knowing how badly you wanted to win it?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it was really cool. I uh, Ever since, like I said in the interview, ever since that project kind of uh got rumored and then announced it i was i thought it was a really cool idea and then thankfully um i was one of the lucky guys that kind of got to test it out early kind of help with the input on it and um yeah it was i i thought it was really fun and i thought it was in a cool place and it put on a good show so i uh i really wanted to kind of hopefully put on a good show for the people who are kind of tuning in for a preview and uh, i think we did that in the feature and it was uh it was very cool to uh be on top of that
2: now, how would you describe the race in and of itself? Because it looked interesting. It sounded interesting for the driver's side. And you also had the tweet saying you couldn't wait to drive through everybody to take the win. You only had to drive through two people. And both times, from what I understand, were accidental.
0: Yeah, I well, the, the Zelensky one in the heat race was accidental. But then uh, I, when I moved Connie, that was intentional at the end. But... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I uh thankfully I didn't uh drive through anybody too hard. Um but obviously with a with a track that tight, it's uh it's gonna be physical. So um yeah, I got into Bobby there lap one of the heat race. I was uh not trying to do that for sure. Um but yeah, then at the end it was just hard racing with Conti. Uh he kinda cleared down in front of me uh pretty close and I was like, I right. just kinda lined up to just nudge him a little bit and get him up out of the groove again. So um yeah, it worked out. Thankfully, uh I think I got a little bit of nose damage and a and a bit of a pileup um, on uh, one of the earlier cautions. But uh, besides that, after that, it was pretty clean sailing, didn't have any major incidents. So um, kept it clean after that and uh, came out with the with the win.
1: Well, Casey, in learning about these new next-gen cars, I know uh, it was quite difficult, and we've heard a lot of talk about the differences uh, in this race car versus the Gen 6 that we just came from. Uh, do you? Th- is there anything you can carry over from a track like the L.A. Coliseum uh, looking ahead to the schedule? Is there another kind of flat racetrack where you think that a lot of uh, the beta testing with this track that you did and uh, just as well running on it and getting a lot of good experience do you think that translates over to anything uh, when you take a look at the schedule
0: um I I don't really know I I think maybe a place sort of like gateway maybe or New Hampshire even though I'm I've always been horrible there um but I don't know I I think the biggest thing for me which was kind of nice with the Coliseum is I feel like my biggest struggle when I've driven the next gen car, and I think it's a lot to do with the, you know, the the smaller sidewall that they've all talked about in real life so much. Um, At least when I hear them describe it, it's what I feel in the car is when it steps out and it steps out really hard. It's, it's just a different feeling of like how you're going to save it. And it also can just be gone in an instant. And I felt like with the way the Coliseum was the way you drove it, it was just what I felt like I gained the most out of it was just long green flag runs of just that feeling of like, overstepping that edge and kind of getting used to that is where I felt like I got the most out of it with driving the place. Because um, again, with how the corners were so flat, if you kind of overdrove entry a little too much, it would kind of unload or like uh, kind of overstep the limits of that small sidewall, if that makes sense. That's, that's what it felt to me. And uh, feeling that was, was good to kind of get the whole, like what to expect with it. Cause again, like the cars, we were just driving, we've been driving them for, you know, five years now or whatever um, where you kind of know exactly what the car is going to do for the most part. Uh, but with an extra car, it's all brand new. So it was good to kind of learn that feeling a good bit.
1: Well, and I wanted to ask you something else. I know last night, uh, you alluded to going to Daytona now, uh, perhaps with your prize that you won in victory lane. Have you ever been to a Daytona 500 before?
0: I have been to a Daytona 500. We went in uh, 2017 when Kurt Busch won, but uh, so it wouldn't be my first time. I was there too. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to go uh, since it was obviously the first 500 with the next gens. Um, but unfortunately, I b- I've been told that is the one race. It's short notice. Yeah, it's uh, yeah get to that one. But mm-hmm. it's all right. Well, uh, I think uh, I could we could. There's plenty of other options. Maybe the Phoenix finale or something. But uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, there's plenty of good races to go to. So we'll uh, we'll have a good time whichever one we go to.
2: Now, in that regard as well, then with this season, you talked a little bit about. Of the tracks you fare could fare well. In terms of your expectations for the season, how do you feel the points-paying side of things could fare out? Knowing it's a lot of new stuff for drivers to learn with a new car, a lot of new competitors, and in turn, it's for what's expected to be intriguing—a bit of tighter racing in terms of tighter lengths and so forth. What are your expectations for? you to bring that 95 machine back to victory lane for a points finish, for a points win.
0: Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the car is a little bit harder to drive again now. Um, again, kind of with the, the the way the tire is and, you know, there's no side force or anything like that. And smaller spoiler, more horsepower again. So, um, yeah, I don't really know what to expect. Again, we kind of, we all knew we were going to get this kind of big update to the car um, kind of late. Um, after they got kind of data from these these tests, so um, I hadn't really run the car a lot. So again, like the Clash, really the Coliseum is really the only place I've run the car um, since the update. So I I I don't really know my expectations too much yet, but um, I mean I think it's fun to drive, and I think it's it's kind of a you said with the the point stuff. You know, like last year we had what was it, thirteen or fourteen different winners. Yes. Um, I feel like this year it could be, you know small group of guys could just hit on it for the first few weeks and just win a bunch of races and then you could be having to worry about points to get in the playoffs again so um yeah i don't know it's just there's so much unknown like we haven't even really done uh i haven't seen really any races with a lot of these guys you know uh, to see how we all stack up against each other I, there's so much unknown about it where where we're going to stack up and how you set these things up and who's going to kind of find the the right direction first but I think that's what's going to make it even more exciting. I w- I would think that again, there might be those people that kind of hit on hit on it early and are just the fastest guys the first you know five races, or it could be just straight up and down. Like you could have guys that ran 35th the week before be winning the next week because it's just so different to figure out. So um, either way, I think it'll be exciting and uh, probably a lot more uh, a lot more interesting to start the year figuring it all out.
2: Now, in turn, of course, you are one of the biggest streamers personality-wise, when it comes to being in the series with the following you build and a lot of support you bring and the information you help provide during the race, including if they need to panic, it seemed at one point. But how would you describe finding that balance now, especially knowing you've got to spend so much time to learn this new car, not just, of course, now at the Coliseum with that concluded there, but also how it runs the super speedways. That was something that was a major change, for example. How it runs on a speedway when it comes to low down force, higher horsepower for the first time in three years in series competition. How do you feel that all the adjustment periods could be to try and balance that out with trying to also maintain the stream personality?
0: Yeah, it's uh, obviously, um, again, there'll probably be a little bit more testing this year. Obviously, like you said, there's so much more to figure out. Um, now, so there will be some more testing, but also, I mean, a lot of my streaming in the NASCAR, like in the NASCAR's in season for NASCAR is just, is practice for me. I mean, like running all the NIS fixed races that I do and all that kind of stuff is going to be how I learn the car and how you learn to race around people and, you know, where lines can change and tire fall off and all that kind of stuff. Obviously there's still even more to learn on the setup side of things. Um, and you know, what direction you're looking for in testing um but the streaming side of it it's just kind of i i it'll help me again like i said with learning because it's just typical just racing and getting seat time um but also it kind of helps keep you sane a little bit when all you're doing is testing um at least for me like if i i, I can burn out pretty easy if it's all testing like i gotta get back and, and doing that with stream and and racing IS races and stuff like that can kind of uh clear the mind from it for a little bit while still learning the car some so um i think it's a pretty easy balance for me honestly just uh like i said there will be a little bit more testing um because like on the old cars like i said we driven for so long you kind of knew what you were looking for you could kind of get to that point pretty quickly now we're have no idea what we're looking for so you never know um how much testing you're gonna need to do so for that it'll be a little bit interesting but it's it should be a pretty pretty simple balance i think
2: now a couple more questions you it's been talked about you will be at the coliseum for the world action. How excited are you to be able to experience that in person and see history for the first time in a stadium setting like that when it comes to NASCAR competition for the first time in about 50 years? What's that feeling like knowing you are there for history?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the reason why I wanted to go. Like I said, I whenever, you know, I, I was a big fan of the idea like i said whenever they announced that they were going to do it and then like i said when i got the chance to do it i was like this is really cool i th- i think it's going to be a good race it'll be entertaining and yeah like you said it's just it's in a in a cool place that's just never really been done before in a long time or at least in most people's generations of watching the sport so um i just really wanted to be there for it and and see it with my own eyes so um i'm really looking forward to it it's going to be a fun time and uh hopefully everyone will be able to. Uh, Enjoy an amazing race.
2: How many times will be will you be dressing up as Lightning McQueen in for races this year?
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see. Hopefully, it, I, clearly, I we ran the red rims in the in the clash last night, so maybe it'll bring some luck. So maybe we we'll have to work on doing that some more.
2: We'll see if you end up wearing a lightning bolt's hat on your head. We'll see that might entertain the fans. Anyone, any where can fans find you if they haven't found you already? Uh yeah, so
0: I I stream on Twitch, uh just Twitch.tv slash Casey Kerwin, my name, and also uh, on Twitter it's uh, Casey Kerwin 23 uh, That's where I like to uh, meme around and uh rant about my opinions on NASCAR races and such. So, um yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, be sh- I stream most time during the week, especially now with the NASCAR season kicking off, we'll be doing a lot more NASCAR stuff. So, um yeah, if you want to watch some. Next gens and things like that, then we'll be doing that. So
2: well, good luck once again on your trip to the Real World Coliseum. Congratulations, the victory in the virtual Coliseum. And one more thing. Cachow.
0: Indeed. Cachow. Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Cachow. Casey Kerwin, once again, having a kachow moment and no cachos. In the end, to make it to Victory Lane in the virtual clash at the Coliseum. When we come back, news of the week. You're listening to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crossview Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. Catch out. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crossview Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. Justin Prince, Blake Becanalist, Richard Culbreth with you as we move on to the news of the week after what was, as mentioned, a very busy time. As to be expected at this point, of the iRacing calendar. And to say a lot happened is an understatement. We talked with Casey Kerwin just moments ago, and as mentioned, it was the debut virtually for eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series competition with the next-gen car, with the different way it drives, with the different braking, with the different gearing, with the different body, with the different everything. And oh, there's no side force either to keep in mind. That's been mentioned as well so many times. And Blake, you're in the broadcast booth for it all. Your thoughts on how it all played out with the Clash of the Coliseum. We heard a little bit of it before we spoke to Casey.
1: Absolutely. Well, first off, I think I was kind of impressed with how the show looked. I know as somebody who's been around the track a couple of times myself driving it uh, on the sim, it made me excited for what we're going to see uh, on Sunday when the, when the Busch Light Clash runs on Sunday night in the NASCAR Cup Series. I think it's a, it's an old school track that's really tight, really technical, uh, and is really hard to, to get a hold on. I mean, it's a rhythm race track, uh, just two and a half degrees of banking, and I think the best in the sim racing world, uh, many of whom were brand new to this level of competition, uh, showed it well. Now, of course it wasn't without uh, its troubles. It's a really tight racetrack, and uh, with that, you throw 25 cars on a quarter-mile racetrack in a football stadium. Uh, It's going to get clogged up at times. You're going to have some beating and banging. Uh, But again, I I think that's a great preview uh, of what's to come uh, on the real side as well. So a great debut uh, not only for Casey Kerwin, of course, that we talked to, but uh, many uh, rookies in this series. I think that was the one thing I come out with out of Tuesday night, Justin, was the performance of the rookie class, I think, was was very impressive and something we'll have to watch once we start uh, paying the points out here at Daytona. To recap the top 10, Casey Kerwin, Mitchell Dion. one of the rookies you referred
2: to, Briar LaPrade, with a strong run from 18th starting spot, Donovan Strelz from 12th to 4th, Nick Goninger, Garrett Lowe, Blake Reynolds from 16th to 7th, Michael Guest 19th to 8th, Parker Retzlaff, 20th to 9th, and Bobby Zelensky rounded up the top 10 after being moved out of the way in the opening laps from the front of the field. It was a very intriguing one, let's put it that way in terms of that. And a lot of rookies, I will say, made some statements, while others, made it be known, known it seemed, they wouldn't be willing to get bullied around with how many of them were willing to give the bumper back if they got a shot from behind.
1: Well, and I think that's something you're going to have to establish early on in this series. Uh, I know somebody who uh, I worked with Isaac Gann a lot last year, uh, Norse Force Racing, kind of getting him prepared for this level and kind of seeing the growing pains of being new uh, to this level of competition. And the one thing that these veterans of this series will do is if they sense blood, they'll strike quickly. Um, you can't back down from these guys. You, if you you got to stand your ground and, and make sure that when they see your name, you, you know you're not now obviously you don't want to go over uh, overboard, right? You don't want to be the guy that's just running into everybody, but I think at a certain point you have to establish uh, how many of these veterans are going to race you, and uh, you got to show that you're not willing to put up with, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they may be uh, accustomed to doing, so not not surprised to see that, as well as, uh, you know, a couple of drivers that will write off what happened on Tuesday, uh, with all the chaos with all the, the carnage that came with it, and uh, I'm sure they're, they're we're just going to chalk it up as well. It's an exhibition, doesn't really matter, but uh, of course for your front runners and even Casey went a good way to to build some momentum uh, heading into 2022. And keep in mind he has landed to watch that
2: action in Los Angeles at LA Memorial Coliseum of the Real World. Be sure to keep an eye on that action once more on Fox for the most like clash from the Coliseum. As well, when it comes to eNASCAR competition, it starts its points-paying action with its first Super Speedway race with the next-gen car at Daytona International Speedway. February the 15th is the scheduled date. That will start 9 p.m. Eastern Time on enascar.com forward slash live. Catch that across NASCAR and iRacing social media channels. And speaking of eNASCAR competition, some more Domination Station moments happen for one a long day as he went on to cruise to a third straight D-Box E-NASCAR International iRacing Series presented by Digital Motorsports Victory at the Virtual Daytona International Speedway this past weekend. And, Blake, absolute domination from day, a very talented competitor, someone who has shown dominating speed from the onset of the road courses, led every lap, and in turn has taken the series points lead, after winning the Lasik G30,
1: well, taking the points lead and not really a lot of time uh, left for these guys to try to catch him. Obviously, Phoenix Raceway, February fifth, the last race of that campaign. Uh, so we're kind of late in the going here for anybody to chase him down. But it's been interesting to see with the the amount of road course racing that the series has in particular. Obviously, we opened up with Homestead, Miami, just about a month ago from now. Um, But the amount of road course racing these guys are kind of put into, it's interesting to see how that carries over, what experience people bring. Uh, Obviously, this is an international series, Justin, so you bring in uh, a lot of drivers with varying backgrounds from uh, those in the Americas that are more accustomed to ovals to those that are kind of going up the ranks a different way and and using those road courses. So uh, how they've handled the Xfinity car, it's been cool to see. And I think Phoenix, uh, to wrap it back up, uh, going on the oval will be be fun to see see how that shakes out again the top five was day paul Dufro.
2: seven pilot also showed speed 16 seconds back after having a spin in the grass and then spinning the points leader in turn with three wide action on the rejoin but nicolas sanchez is the meat of the sandwich in that device down Raja rasha karoof the top five and that in turn means day leads the points over victor Baralis, five points entering phoenix pilot. He is nine back, Traden Lapsevich, 12 back. You'll also have within a decent shot Alex DeAlba, Raja Karouf, Tobias Dallenhauer within the 110s in points total scored. And here's the thing with Phoenix. That's a wild card because remember how crazy Homestead got and remember how strong Roger Karoof and Trayden Lapsevich are on Ovals. I don't think this championship is clear cup secured really for anybody based on the fact they had a bad time at Homestead.
1: Well, and there's a lot of crossover, right? You see, you talk about the drivers that are they're used to those ovals and used to those road courses. I mean, I think uh, I'm a perfect example of it. Somebody who, who feels like on the ovals they can get it done, and as soon as you start turning left and right, there's just such a different degree uh, of skill, of understanding, of awareness, of experience. And... Uh, I think that's what makes this series so interesting is the fact that we get so many different varying types of racetracks throughout the schedule, those that will favor kind of both drivers, really technical road courses, uh, really uh, kind of more simple layouts like what we have at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park that they ran a little bit earlier, even Daytona. Uh, I I guess you would consider the road course there not to be uh, one of the more technical places that you would go to uh, to turn left and right, but it's shaped up for an interesting series, and like you said, I think Phoenix uh, will be a good opportunity for drivers like Roger Carruth to try to make up those points to win that championship. Once again, that action takes
2: place on Saturday, February the 5th, but it's at a 10 a.m. Eastern time start. Once again, that is an earlier start on enascar.com, for Live, and on iRacing social media channels. And the reason it is earlier is because earlier in the week, it was confirmed the schedule... And the drivers have been officially released on various different platforms and groupings for this campaign for the Porsche Taycan eSports Super Cup, the premier road course series when it comes to sports car action on the iRacing service. And it will be an intriguing one because starting off on Saturday, February the 5th, it starts off with sprint action in the all- main race for the All-Stars. That's kicking things off early on in the day. And then... Has races hit the racetrack over the course of about the course of three hours on track action, Blake or so, starting off at the Hockenheim Ring?
1: I always love watching this series because like you mentioned you have the all-star race and love seeing uh, some of the biggest content creators out there on the service being able to go out and and put on a show for everybody Uh, but to be be able to see the contrast in that and those who are really at the top of the game I I know watching a couple of those races last season or or being involved in the broadcast in some way the one thing that's so striking is just how there's so little margin for error in watching those cars everybody's just right in line so close Racing is very close and fun because of that, but the margin for error and the skill that these drivers have is just off the charts. I know watching and keeping up uh, with a friend of mine, Zach Campbell, through his trek through the series last year, uh, it's amazing, one, the amount of time these drivers put in, but two, just the fact that they learn these places so well, they learn everything. Where the off-tracks are, where exactly they can push the car, how it'll handle on cold tires, uh, it all goes into uh, the product that they put on, and it, it makes the racing really exciting you never know quite how they're going to play out um but they're interesting to see for sure and and even like i said with the content creators that uh, are all over many many people i even look up to as a streamer myself to try to emulate there's a lot of a lot of great racing that happens both uh, before and after the feature race It's gonna
2: be extremely intriguing though to see how it plays out because the driver lineup in turn is expected to be very different we mentioned Those drivers have been posted on iRacing's official website. And remember, several drivers from one of the camps, Gwenda, had pulled some of their drivers out, including the defending champion in that regard. It means a lot of different players could be up towards the front. You mentioned Zach Campbell. He's one of the favorites, in fact, for this season as a result.
1: He is. He's one of the drivers that everybody's looking for, and I know we've had a lot of changes in terms of uh, the driver lineup coming for this season, and Zach Campbell, somebody that uh, out of a great camp, uh, we know what those guys are capable of over there with Coanda and uh, the type of type of power they're able to bring, the setup, and, and obviously all that goes into the drivers and the capability that they have over there, so Campbell will be one you have to watch out for, for sure.
2: And don't forget some of the returning drivers this season. You have drivers with good world championship records this year, or the past year, really, since the last past campaign, like Kevin Ellis Jr., Jamie Fluke, Johan Harve, Sebastian Job, who's been very busy in the sim racing world, to say the very least, Maximilian Beneke, David Williams, who took the contender victory amongst those who are some of the favorites entering the opening parts of the season. And don't forget about Alejandro Sanchez, who switched his technical alliances entering the campaign. Once again, that coverage will take the drivers to the Hockenheimring Ring in Germany. That coverage is scheduled to start at approximately 1830 GMT specifically. So, approximately around noonish Eastern time. Be sure to tune in on iRacing social media platforms. It's going to be a doozy. Nine for the sprint, 18 laps up on the board, projected for the main race. And one final note before we close things on out for what has been a busy time. Under the radar, there was another announcement of a new special event, this being in October on the iRacing service, and it is the SCCA Runoffs, a series that does have connections to Taylor Burris and has a lot of history on his regard. But with the sim, it's an intriguing one, Blake, because this is one of the most wide ranging events i think i've seen on the platform special event wise over the course of october 17th to 21st drivers will be able to try and qualify their way in to the super session model for saturday october the 22nd for an 8 hour broadcast window amongst the drivers a rent the car should say in that the formula v the spec racer ford the miata class gt1 vehicles Formula cars but the USF 2000s, GT4s, American sedans utilizing the Ford Mustang FR500S, and the touring car vehicles representing the GT2 class, all of it being at VIR. That is absolutely substantial to be able to make that connection, but also one of the more optimistically wide-ranging special events in,
1: in the platform's history, I will say. Absolutely, Justin, and, and I know... But... Multi-class racing is something that I, I've tried to get uh, a lot more familiar with over the years. And certainly when you talk about all the different type of type of vehicles, I mean, the Formula V, probably one of my favorite vehicles to drive on iRacing just because of how simple it is. Yet you can have some great battles on the service. So to throw all those cars uh, under one blanket and be able to have them race against each other. uh it, it, again, that's a really special thing, like you said, and um, interested to see how that shakes out because again, we, we don't when we talk about special events, it's not always the uh, always the uh, it's not always for multi class racing. So definitely something unique happening with SCCA for sure. And keep in mind, those are all thirty five minute races a piece for those
2: classes. For clarification, because for those wondering in terms of the rear-world action, that's essentially how they structure it at VIR, where you have those various different races with the runoffs that take place in the real world, September 24th to October the 2nd. And the thing is too, Blake, I want to mention some of the cars I read off there, we're talking about their first official usage in this type of a capacity in some cases in 10 years. When's the last time the Ford Mustang's been using for an official series like this?
1: It's been a long time. I can remember, I think, the the Thrustmaster Challenge was a series on iRacing that ran that utilized the Ford Mustang. But, uh, you know, some vehicles that have been around for a long time. I mean, heck, I remember back in the day about, 10 or 11 years ago, you had the Pontiac Solstice that was one of the main road course cars on the sim. And, of course, that's kind of given way to the um, Miatas. But uh, that's one great thing about these uh, these older cars, that they never really go away, even if they're they're not as well utilized in the real world anymore. We still have the capability to use them not in the iRacing. So great to see that they're being uh, kind of trotted back out, and again, for a special event like this. Once again, the SCCA runoffs for
2: iRacing are scheduled For the week of October 17th to October 22nd, keep an eye on iRacing.com and its news feeds to be able to learn more as time progresses. With that, a busy week. A lot of different things to compact. A lot of different changes for drivers to battle with. Some championship hardware rewarded. And others preparing to battle for some new hardware. Plenty happened, to say the least. We'd like to thank you for listening to the iRacers Download this week from my co-host today in Blake McAtlas. For our producer, Richard Cobran, I'm Justin Prince saying so long. Enjoy the rest of your evening and or day. This has been the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by CrossU Radio and NASCAR Digital Media.